It's often said that no young girl dreams of growing up to work in the sex trade. And it's certainly not something that any parent would want their child to do when they got older. But sadly, scores of young women in this country are lured into the sex trade. And once they're in, it's very hard to get out. That's the focus of this episode of the Blackburn News Podcast, part two in our series Trafficking 401. Here's your host, Craig Needles. The stories of women who have been trafficked are difficult to hear, but we have to listen to them to know the depths of the problem that we're experiencing along the 401 corridor. These women are told they'll be beaten or even worse if they don't have sex with multiple men several times a week, perhaps even seven days a week in some cases. They're told in other cases that they have to do drugs, otherwise they'll face significant consequences. Their traffickers want them to be addicted, so they have to depend on the trafficker for their drug supply, for money. Heartbreaking stories. One of those heartbreaking stories belongs to Natalie. Now that isn't Natalie's real name. We're going to use that name for the purposes of this podcast so we don't identify her. We're also going to be changing her voice. But Natalie has been trafficked in this region. We don't get into specifics about the where's and the when's for some of these incidents to avoid identifying her publicly. But Natalie's story is an important one, and I hope you can listen to it. Natalie, thank you so much for doing the Blackburn News Podcast. Oh, you're welcome. No worries. Tell me about your life before you were trafficked uh, in and around this region. Uh, uh, what was what was that like, and, and, and how did you wind up becoming someone who had been trafficked? Um, so I had uh, a longstanding um, childhood abuse uh, history, but uh, when I kind of came to this region, um, I had moved here for work and school, and I ended up losing my job and kind of things spiraled from there. The temporary job that I found was not what I was interested in. So I kept looking and eventually found an ad for a job that I had a degree in. So I'd actually answered this job ad with a resume, stereotypical resume, nothing, nothing fancy on it, just my address name, phone number, and my work history up until that point, my education, and went into this job interview thinking that I was going into kind of my line of work that I was hoping to kind of build a career off of. And when I got there, that's not what it was. Um, I walked into this floor and a building downtown. And I already kind of knew something was a little weird because the offices were all empty. Um, it was very bare bones, but very high end looking. Um, and then when I sat down with the guy who was interviewing me, he started telling me this whole business model. And I'm quickly realizing that this is not what I signed up for. Like this is nothing to do with this job that I applied for, but yet this was my contact. So I knew I was in the right place but not why I had actually gone there. And he was telling me about how um, police were, like former police officers now worked for him, um, as in like uh, women that he was selling were former police officers, um, that, you know, it was, it was all kind of, 
essentially under the wire with the government um, because he wrote you a paycheck and you paid taxes under his, I don't even know what to call it, like shelter business, essentially. So it seemed very up and up um, if you were looking at it from the outside. And this guy was very, very um, cocky might be the best word to describe him because he actually had bus ads posted around the city for his escorting business. And so it wasn't like he was hiding. um, He was very obvious about what he did, but he made it seem like it was perfectly legal. So anybody, like any guy that was looking to have a good time would see these bus ads and like, okay, well, you would assume that if it's a bus ad, it's fine. It's okay. And it's not. We, he would rent condos in the downtown area. And because he had my address for my resume, I didn't have a car at the time. I relied solely on public transportation. So he would have his driver come pick me up and bring me to the condo that I'd be working out of. And they had bodyguards, but the bodyguards weren't really there to protect us. They were there to make sure that we followed this guy's rules and had sex with whoever came through the door. And if we weren't compliant, then we got beat. Um, There were several times that I would leave with bruised ribs, um, bruises on my face, on my neck, my arms, and not just from the Johns that were walking through the door. This was from the bodyguards if I wasn't being compliant enough. So that was kind of my first introduction to trafficking when I came into the area. It was just, I felt trapped. I, I had given this guy everything he needed to know about me and who I was through what I thought was a legitimate business ad, like a job ad. So people are going to say, oh, hey, once you figured out what this was, then you should have stopped going or or stopped showing up. I know that it's a lot more complicated than that. And I know that, you know, the tools of fear are what, 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 what keep you in line. So what was it that made you continue to, you know, work with this guy? Um, I didn't have anybody in the city. I didn't know anyone. I didn't have any ties. I didn't have a friend base at that point. Um, and it's not like I was, and I get where people come from, where they don't understand how it's not something you just walk out and never show up or like you up and move. But one, the housing market's not that easy. So you can't just like up and move to a new place. Like, okay, now he doesn't know my address. So it doesn't matter if he sends his driver. It, he's not going to find me. Well, I still had a daytime job that he knew about because it was on my resume and so it's like even if you up and move you can't do that so he knew where i was he knew everything about me within the city he also knew that i didn't have any family here because of our phone interview prior to me coming in for a sit-down interview and he had gotten like a little back history on what brought me to the area so this guy knows everything about me at this point and it's the fear of he's just told me everything about his business model. He knows that I have no one here. Work isn't going to contact my family because they're not an emergency contact. 
So nobody's going to know if I go missing. Nobody's going to know if he locks me up or he beats me or I end up dead somewhere. Nobody's going to know to report me missing. And you try and work out in your head what is what is the best way to eventually exit this like you try and come up with an exit plan in your mind and sometimes that means staying and kind of building a trust that and kind of like getting essentially privileges from them like making it seem like yes you're compliant yes you're going to do exactly what they say and then they start to let their guard down and that was kind of my tactic initially with this guy was okay if i just if i remain compliant then i'm not going to get hurt as much and then he's going to start to trust me and then he's going to kind of loosen the reins a little bit and that's when i can kind of make my exit and figure out what i'm going to do next but i didn't even know what that next was and it's just it, it never ended up working out that way. It ended up being that I would get Johns that were really violent. And of course, those aren't the guys that I'm like, okay, I I can kind of in my mind zone out during this and just be compliant, do what they want me to do, and then it's done and over with. It was one of those things where I'm like, I, I feel like I need to put up a fight. Like, I, I can't keep letting this happen to my body. And... That, of course, not only pisses off the Johns that are being overly aggressive and violent, but it also pisses off the bodyguards and then that gets back to the trafficker. And it's just kind of like this whole domino effect. But then the Johns that I was willing to be compliant with to try and build this trust with my trafficker were guys that saw these scars on my body and the bruises and they knew something was wrong, but they didn't say anything. And so some of them didn't want to have sex because it was they knew something was up, but they just couldn't put a finger on what was wrong. And then other guys were hesitant, and but still had sex anyways. It's just, it ended up being that I was not somebody, I was not one of the women that was profitable enough for this guy. I was more troubled than I was worth, and thankfully, it didn't end up being that I was more trouble than I was worth so that he disposed of me. It was just more so, uh, don't even bother coming back. So I just kind of got tossed to the side, which was fine by me. But I was lucky in the sense that that didn't mean death for me because that's not how it goes for everybody. If you get disposed of by a trafficker, sometimes that means you're dead. So I've heard stories from women who have been in this position and from advocates about women who uh, go up and down the 401 corridor to very, or to Toronto or to, uh, you know, just to Sarnia. Uh, were, were you working exclusively out of London where, where you made the travel as part of this? What was, uh, I guess, your day to day like when you were being trafficked? Um, I was exclusively uh, trafficked out of this like general region, specifically like it was mainly in London, um, some of the smaller surrounding towns. Um, however, right before I was kind of tossed to the side, um, I was told that I would be flown out to Winnipeg for three months and that I would be working in Winnipeg for three months. But 
one of the girls that I had become kind of close with at the time, and she was flown out to Winnipeg, and I didn't hear from her for eight months. She just kind of disappeared. Um, and it ended up being a really horrible experience for her. Um, she ended up addicted to drugs out there because there wasn't much to do during the times that she was being sold. But I feel very lucky that I was not profitable enough for him, so I wasn't worth his trouble, and I got tossed to the side so that I didn't end up in Winnipeg. Um, and I know that some of the girls went to Toronto as well, but I was somebody that he kept kind of in that region because all of my ties um, were outside in other parts of Ontario. So to have me travel to those other parts of Ontario might have been too risky. So you mentioned, you know, Johns come in and they 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 do what they want to do. Right? Was or are we talking? You know, you're working six days a week, five days a week. What were sort of the the, the work days like? Uh, it was seven days a week. It was uh, like every night um, I would get picked up around 8, 8.30 and I would be working until typically around 3.30, 4 a.m. And then I would go back home. They would drop me off. I would sleep as much as I could and then I would go to my day job. And then the cycle would just start all over again. I would get home from my day job try to sleep as much as I could and then they'd come and pick me up and then my whole, I don't know what you want to call it, shift, I guess, uh, in the condos would start and it was just a never-ending cycle. And you're going there and you're having sex with five, six guys under the threat of a vicious beating or worse if you don't do it. Yeah, there were girls um, with that particular trafficker that had their heads shaved for not complying um that weren't let they didn't get to go home because they didn't have a home so they resided solely in those condos um but i got to go home so i was just it would be yeah anywhere from five to ten a night because sometimes these are only like 20 minute to half hour appointments that you're having so there can be a lot of guys coming through your door. Um, multiples were allowed. Um, I was sold out to a work party. Don't know what kind of work party this was, but it was a group of 15 guys, and there were three of us that were sold to this party, and it was just kind of like a chain. And all three of us were kind of lined up in a room, and everybody just took their turns. That, that's 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 horrifying and i just well I, I can't imagine what kind of people are involved in this and uh that, that, that want to do this to you uh, that, that want to be part of that and and furthermore the people that go in there they're they're violent with you but they i guess feel as though they have license to do that so i'm sure it probably was not uncommon that these men would have been violent with you no it's not uncommon um and it's not every it's not every it's not every guy but it happened every night and it was more than half of the men that would come through the doors that were violent it's almost like what they don't have permission to do at home and in the general public eye they got to take out on myself and the other women 
yeah, I'm well. I'm, I'm so sorry that that that, that happened. Uh, I'm I'm glad to hear that eventually they just decided, hey, you were not worth the trouble anymore. So, what's it been like for you since you've not been in that situation anymore? How, uh, what what's your life like now? Um, it took a while to kind of get back um, on my feet. I had a couple of suicide attempts after being uh, kind of released from that. Um, eventually found a stable job um, that I've been working at since. I made connections with local resources in the community like London Abuse Women's Center. Um, had a good like therapist that I've been dealing with. And just having that solid connection and kind of working through things slowly and doing talks like this where I chat about my experiences with it and try to help create different situations for women in the future that are going through this. What, and I've asked a few people this, and I'm, I'm curious to get your answer. What would your message be to men who purchase sex? Very, very few of the women think that they're choosing to do that. Um, it's not... It's not something even if you're asking a woman like, oh, is this what you want to be doing? And they say yes. It's most likely a scripted answer. It's an answer that they've been told to give. Um, It's almost always a situation where it's a lack of options, whether it's situations like mine where it was completely like a complete blindside. This was not what I was expecting when I went into a, what I thought to be a regular job interview or women that answer job ads that may have red flags, but they've got nothing else left at that point. They're, they're either homeless or on the verge of losing their home. When your finances are so tight that that's your only option left. It's not an option. They'd rather be anywhere else than where they are right now. And I can guarantee you that no matter how good you think you are at sex, those women don't want to be near you. They don't want you to touch them. The ones that, uh, you know, treat you in in a more kind way, does that, uh, obviously it makes a difference, but those guys aren't heroes necessarily either, right? And and perhaps they fancy themselves that way, but not beating the the hell out of a woman doesn't necessarily mean you're a nice guy. No, exactly. Like you, you already know what you're doing is illegal. It's not, it's not a secret that in Canada, it's illegal to purchase sex. Um, it's not, if it's not something that you'd be willing to stand in front of your boss and say, yeah, this is what I do, um, and tell your whole family that, that yeah, that's what you've been doing um, in your evenings and that's where you're spending your money, you know something's wrong, um, regardless of how kind you are to the woman that you're paying sex for. Uh, I'll, I'll ask you before we wrap up here, uh, your relationship with your family while you were being trafficked and since you had been trafficked, uh, what, what, what can you say about that? Was it, uh, did they even know at the time? Have they found out since? Well, how, how would you uh, classify that relationship? Um, they did not know at the time. Um, I actually had a very infrequent communication with them during the entire period that I was being trafficked. Um, 
there would be month-long stretches without any communication whatsoever. Um, it's improved since. We have more communication now. They are vaguely aware of the trafficking, but only a small portion of the family is aware of that. Um, I don't hide my involvement with uh, the groups that I receive help from and that I'm kind of working alongside to try and create some change. But it's not something, it's not a topic that we sit down and talk about. It's not a comfortable topic for anybody, especially your family. Of course, I uh, understand entirely. Uh, last thing before we wrap up, you mentioned create some change. What kind of change do you want to create? I want to see follow through with the justice system. Right now, there's um, there's huge gaps in like if, uh, if a trafficker's even arrested by the police, that's one that's the first step to even getting them arrested. Um, but having charges stick and not having charges downgraded to something other than trafficking because our statistics are so so underreported right now because they're only reporting on what has actually been officially laid following a court case and i know in my personal situation um things were downgraded from trafficking to uh profiting off of the sale of a woman essentially so like a essentially like a prostitution type charge um that's the main one for me um having enough supports uh canada-wide so that it's consistent and that every woman or girl that walks through those doors gets the same amount of support and that these agencies are not having to constantly beg the government to fund them so that they can keep their doors open that's uh, that's a lot of change that uh, you've described there, but I think it's it's change that needs to happen. And, and as I've been putting together this podcast series, I've been talking to people who've been trafficked or people who are advocates, or and, and the the refrain is is pretty clear: is that there just aren't enough ways out for people who are in the situation you are in, and there aren't enough supports for people who are in that situation. That's exactly right, and a lot of it has to do, sadly, with uh, finances. There's just not enough funding in order to provide escape routes for women and not just short-term ones, but long-term solutions. And I mean, London Abuse Women's Center is constantly hiring more counselors and advocates because there's such a need. Well, you mentioned, and, and, and I've already taken up enough of your time here, and I, I'm, I'm sorry, we, we've got to go, but you, I have to say this. You mentioned the idea of women sort of continuing to do this or not running because they feel as though they're choosing between being trafficked and being homeless. And if that's the case, there are going to be people who choose being trafficked. That, that They shouldn't feel as though that's the choice. They should have another choice beyond those two options. Exactly. I agree. Uh, we're going to leave it there. Thank you so much for this uh, really important uh, conversation that I, I think is going to be an eye opener for a lot of people who are listening. Thank you for doing this. And we really very much appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This episode of the Blackburn News Podcast was produced by Craig Needles and Taylor Dixon. It was written by Craig Needles and Scott Kitching. 
On the next episode, part three of our series, Trafficking 401. And the police will come in and say, they face forward and say to the first guy, now, sir, why are you here today? The first guy always, without fail, looks left or right and goes, I was trying to pick up a hitchhiker. The police officer says, sir, I'm the one that arrested you. So we try again. Why are you here today? (laughs) And by the time they get to the second guy, they're all telling the truth. That's Caroline Pugh Roberts, a sex trafficking survivor who now works with the Salvation Army and operates what's often called a John School. That's where men who've been arrested for buying sex are sent so that they can learn about the harms that come to women in the sex trade in the hope that they won't buy sex again. We'll also hear from police and others about what's being done to end sex trafficking in our region. Remember, you can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen at blackburnnews.com. The Blackburn News Podcast is a presentation of Blackburn Media. Blackburn.